0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, Kevin is talking about formal versus informal direction from the contracting officer with special guest, Angela Jacobs. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. And let's get started.
1: Welcome, Angela Jacobs, to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Uh, Angela is a member of the Skyway team, and she's also a former contracting officer and just wizard of all things contracts. So, I, I wanted to give you the floor for a minute. Tell us a little bit about you and and, and how you ended up in, in the contracting officer field.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and I'm very grateful to be a part of the Skyway team. I started my career almost 36 years ago. Started out at Fort Ord, California, worked my way to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, worked in basically every section of the organization. Uh, then I Then had an opportunity to serve in Kuwait, and I actually had an opportunity to serve as the SCO, the Senior Contracting Officer at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, I spent 36 years working for the government, very excited about my entire career, decided to... Re- to retire in 2020 so that I could best serve uh, the small businesses. Very excited about being a part of Skyway and very excited about being able to uh, assist small businesses in GovCon and understanding how to navigate the federal acquisition system. And, and thank you. Today's topic
1: is this, this idea of, of communication leading to context. Is Do we have enough context from both sides? on what's going on, like what's happening when there's a lack of context on one side, i.e. government or industry, and then communication ends up not being clear.
2: I would say that we've all heard this phrase before, uh, having a meeting of the minds is used in, in, in GovCon a lot. And so it's critical that when we're communicating both on the government side and the contractor side to understand what each other is trying to convey. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of definitions. And so we definitely have to have a meeting of the minds uh, when we're communicating in the acquisition market. There's a saying that the,
1: the biggest challenge with communication is when you think it happened when it didn't, because <laughs> you don't understand each other. And so, so today's example is is, is, is the reason I asked you to come on the podcast is you're really good at, at figuring out this was, this whole situation or most of it could have been avoided by having communication up front, having better communication. Because when both government and industry have context on the agreement, they know what is supposed to happen. They know what the words mean. They know what the acronyms mean. They know what the tone in the context means. We have better contracts. Without that, in and, and today's story, and, and again, why I asked you on the podcast, is that when we don't line those words up, the impact can, can reach a lot further than we originally intended.
2: And so with that, I think that the most important thing I'm going to say is making sure that you're mindful of what you're taking responsibility of.
1: When you say taking responsibility, that's kind of where this this story came from. What what do you think in there? Tell me more about that.
2: One of the scenarios that I have uh, encountered uh, lately is a, a contractor taking full responsibility. Okay, so... The contractor is taking full responsibility at no cost to the government. What does that actually mean? Do you know know what you're taking responsibility for? Are you taking responsibility for all costs? Or are you only taking responsibility for? The part that was already in the contract.
1: (laughs) The part that you're contractually uh, required to cover. It seems like this comes up in, and I'm raising my hand because I've done it as a contractor, I've done it as a contracting officer, <laughs> I've done it as a leader, where we use email as a communication tool. And to your point, that responsibility piece, as you're, as you're talking through this, I'm, I'm having flashbacks of all the times that I've said something in an email, and it, it's, it could be interpreted as I'm taking responsibility for this, contractual responsibility, this because I'm either a contracting officer or I'm a, in a position with a, with a contractor where when I say something, it's, it's taken as, as edict. So that, that informal communication, it can be dangerous because if one side thinks it's formal, i.e. I'm taking responsibility for this, and the other side who wrote it said is saying it informally, meaning this isn't contractually binding, it's, wow, it's a high-risk environment.
2: Yeah, emails are definitely uh, a killer. And so just remember that anything that is put in writing can actually be a part of a litigation. And, and then any inconsistent language that you have in emails is not looked upon favorable if it goes to litigation.
1: I remember as a, as a contracting officer, the number of times that I was, I was leery of sending an email. Once I learned this lesson, I got dinged up a few times. Um, and people would wonder, well, why does it take so long to respond? You know, you've got your phone in your hand. Can't you reply with an email on your phone? And I remember I was actually sitting at a, at a luncheon. It was... I remember it vividly. I was sitting at a at a, at a uh, squadron luncheon, and I got an email from the from the contractor, and I'm and I had to think through the answer because whatever I email, it's contractual direction. And if if I'm deciding, you know, again, I'm sitting outside at a picnic table. This is not exactly a thinking environment, right? If I make this decision wrong, I'm I'm kind of frozen because I'm like, well, what whatever, what are the things that I not thought about? Well, multiply that by you know, hundreds of small decisions. That without context between industry and government, that fear of sending that email gets even bigger. And then we take longer and and, and things blow up. And of course, in in this project that we're talking about, things kind of did blow up. What we're talking about here is post-award. Once you've got the contract, it's really important to be able to communicate effectively. The story is there's a company that's, that's updating a facility and a storm had come through or was coming through and and the, the government said, hey, you, you need to be prepared for this. You need to fix this. They're supposed to be fixing this facility. And the storm is is had either had just blown through. Is that what's happening? And now we're trying it's, to figure out who's responsible for
2: mm-hmm. the
1: damage as it resulted.
2: Before communicating and I'm going to talk about both the government and, and the contractor. It's important to uh, analyze uh, your emails from a legality standpoint. Because whether we like it or not, emails are considered a form of formal communication. For example, you receive a call on a Sunday evening that a storm just blew through. And instantly, trying to be a great contractor, you respond back, we will take full responsibility for everything at no additional cost to the government without even assessing uh, the situation uh, only to find out later that the cost was much was much more than it been anticipated.
1: So in this case, the storm was bigger than the contractor expected. They they were thinking it was just a just a rainstorm versus like <laughs> a hurricane force winds that caused all kinds of problems.
2: Exactly. And so when the contractor finally did the research, they did realize that there was hurricane type winds. There was uh, driving rain and things of that nature. And so they didn't realize that the statement that they made, um, take full responsibility at no cost to the government, was going to entail a significant amount of damages.
1: So this this could be an example where the one party thinks it's an informal communication. It's an email. It's good customer service to to educate your or talk to your customer, say, hey, we'll take care of this. But without knowing the scope of what you're taking care of and the fact that because it's a government contract, it could it is taken in this case as a formal communication, meaning you're saying you're taking responsibility. And then the government says, oh, well, since you're taking responsibility, even though the damage was bigger than, than you may have thought, it, you're still on
2: the hook for it. And so now that there is a dispute between who's responsible, it's getting very contentious as to... Uh, who's actually uh, responsible for the damages. So better communications would have likely prevented this.
1: And and earlier communications I think would be, yeah, that's to your
2: point. Okay. And I would like to say uh, before communicating both on the government side and the contractor side, it's important to analyze your email from a legality standpoint.
1: When you say analyze your email, you mean just the, the tone of it, the the fact that this assume that it's gonna go like in the contractual record? Is that what you mean? Yes. And I was telling that story before about me being at the picnic table. I wasn't thinking in terms of that being a a, a legal document, but even as a contracting officer, that it, it's when I tell someone to do something who's a contractor, one of my contracts, it's contractual direction. And so this goes both ways, right? Uh, and that it's you're right, it's important to analyze your email there could be a lot more risk than you think. And that's fortunate and unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. So let's zoom out for a second. This, and, and again, we could we could pull the string on on all the the, the context that was missing in this and other you know, customer projects that we work on. But let's, let's zoom out to like, why does the government care about this? Because one could argue, well, it's good to be king as contracting officer. Yes, you can hold the contractor accountable. However, what I've learned over, Doing this a few years, a few decades, and then seeing it from the other side is that this this is not the path of least resistance because it it creates additional costs. You have claims. I mean, in in this example of the of the facility, there's there's costs that are in, incurred in figuring all this stuff out. There's time involved, and effort involved in negotiating who's responsible. And so, just the communication up front would have saved a lot of those additional sideways activities. And I say they're sideways activities because they don't get you anywhere. You're not going forward. You're not going backwards. You're going sideways because at the end of the day, the facility still needs to be fixed. We're, we're back to this problem of support the mission. Like the mission's not being met, but here we are, you know, working our way through a claim or communication or or any kind of frustration, trying to make this contract actually work, and the customer still doesn't need, have what they need.
2: And so uh, earlier we talked about uh, miscommunication on the contractor side. And so now there's also times as to, you know, why should the government care? Because uh, the government uh, miscommunicates as well. And in, the, and in this example, the contracting officer uh, led the contractor to believe that they could submit uh, an equitable adjustment. Later on, once, once the contractor realized the magnitude of the adjustment, they wanted to retract their statement. And so now, on one hand, we have the contractor retracting their statement, and then we have the contracting officer retracting their statement. And did you ever see
1: stuff like this when you were a contracting officer? Did, 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 can you think of, in your, in your, in your, when you say 36 years <laughs> of doing this, you think you ever tiptoed into these and not knowing it?
2: I would say yes. And the reason I'm going to say yes is because there's, there's, there, there's on many occasions where a contractor would put something uh, in writing and it would be misunderstood and they would come back later and say, this is not exactly what I meant. And that's what I'm saying, the meeting of the minds and being, being mindful of your uh, emails and how they are worded because they can become a part of any um, litigations. When I was a contracting officer, I remember a project that I was involved with. The contractor uh, sent an email stating that they had located possible uh, asbestos uh, in a building. I, I immediately uh, shot back an email asking them to stop work immediately. Two to three days later, they were still working. And the asbestos spread it throughout the entire facility. I am so grateful that I put that in in, in in an email because it was looked upon very favorable when we had to go to litigation.
1: Wow. So and the value of email and the value of direction in email. Um, so did, did they not have context on? on what stop work means or did do you think they didn't understand that? Because for them to tell you there's asbestos and you're like, okay, then stop work until we figure this out. What do you, what do you think kept them working? Do you think like the core told them to keep working or what, what what drove them to keep working?
2: Well, what my understanding is what drove them to keep working was the miscommunication uh, between the subcontractor and the prime contractor. And so we, even though the information was sent to the prime uh, contractor, I'm not sure that the, that communication was pushed down to the subcontractor in a timely manner. That's a whole other. That's a whole
1: other podcast episode. But that's a great, a great example is that the urgency of that of that context, i.e., stop work. That means you. Like in theory, you could have said that means you and all your subs. In case you didn't know that, but but again, it's like you assume they had context on stop work means stop work as best So yeah, it just it proves the point that you understood. That the email was formal communication, based on them continuing to work, they must have thought it was informal. It goes back to that point of both government and industry need to understand when is communication informal, like maybe over a phone call or or, or meeting for coffee, versus the stuff that's in writing. It it's legit. Yeah, yeah very good point. Because in, in both of these cases. The the contract wasn't being met. If you're spreading asbestos throughout the building, that wasn't the point of this contract. You're creating other work for people, right? And in the the example we we're talking about earlier, the facility still isn't fixed. That the overall mission is more important than the the contract is a means to an end for them to meet the mission. So if the contract's not doing that, it, then the communication definitely isn't working. Okay, so let's flip over to the industry side. So why does the industry care about this? And I, I want to pull a, a couple of strings of what you mentioned earlier about. What what are we taking ownership of? I mean, the, when I, and it's when, and it was very formal in your example, but I'm sure I've said at times, "Oh, we'll take care of that." That's an informal way of saying we'll do this in the contract. Depending on who you send that to or whom you send that email to, you're setting yourself up for a, a lot of additional work. Are you taking responsibility for part of the problem, for the whole problem, etc.? So make sure you're getting context because it, as a contractor, you can be held responsible for everything that could be rolled into your email. And like, like you said, I like how you said, whether we like it or not, this is how communication works. Um, and yes. it, and it, is a, it can be a, a, a very uh, slippery scenario. Because in our, in our story, contractor wasn't aware that they were etching their words effectively in stone by putting them in an email. And I remember vividly a couple of times doing that And then having those words come back to me. And like you said, I was glad that I chose the right words at the time. Um, Although I'm sure there's plenty of times that I chose the wrong words, Uh, but being aware of what you're putting in the communication and, and particularly what you're putting in writing and emails and, and other mechanisms of communication can get you in real trouble.
2: As a contractor and the industry, they should be very mindful that sadly Um, the government is trained to consider the government's best interests. And we hear it all the time that the contracting officer the government is supposed to be fair to both parties. But being fair to both parties uh, from a government perspective means uh, looking out for the government's budget, um, looking out for the customer and looking out for the overall benefit of the government. And so, when things are in are, are in writing, they take that. Like you said, it's kind of etched in stone. And the government is going to always look out for their best interests. I mean, right,
1: that's the that's the One of the contracting officers' responsibilities is look out for the government's best interests. And and yes, the the intent is not to 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 rake the contractor over the coals on purpose. However, if the contractor says we we're, we're going to take care of this. One could argue that the contracting officer is responsible to make sure they take care of it, even if it feels like you're being raked over the coals. And all of this, or a vast majority of this, can be avoided by better communication up front, by more awareness of what we put into our emails and our communications, and, and frankly, having context on, on, on what words mean during different times. You say something during market research versus we say something during contract performance, very different things. And with that, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you jumping on Angela. And I, again, welcome to the Skyway team. And we will, we will find other topics. You have such a, a wide variety of, of, uh, of, of background stories to tell. Most of your stuff is post-award. So, and I've, we've gotten a lot of requests from, from podcast listeners to do more post-award stuff. So I, I suspect we'll get you back on here again. This was fun. Thank you.
0: That's it for another episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks again to Angela Jacobs for joining Kevin to talk about this topic. And if you're looking for more insight into topics like contracting officers, formal direction, you can find them organized into playlists. You can find our podcasts organized into playlists at the Skyway site. Visit skywayacq.com slash COP, COP for Contracting Officer Podcast, and you'll find our Contracting Officer Podcast playlists. Okay, that's it for today. We'll see you next time.